Before we get to the interview, this is coming out on March 25th, 2020, the Feast of the Annunciation. But we're also in the early days of the coronavirus outbreak here in the United States, uh, an outbreak that has taken already a very serious toll in other parts of the country and other parts of the world. Things are changing day to day, and there is a lot of uncertainty and worry out there. I'm praying daily for the sick and for the departed, so if you have any prayer requests that you'd like me to add to my prayer list, get in touch with me on Twitter at Apple Tree Pods or on Facebook if you find the page for Apple Tree Podcasts. I'd be happy to pray on your behalf to God. On this episode of This Calling, everybody is made in, in the image of God, and they're also also everybody is is marred by sin, including yours truly. And we're we're stuck in a world together. Welcome to This Calling, conversations about vocation. I'm Chris Arnold, a Christian who used to be an atheist, a software engineer who became a priest. These are the calling stories of others, where they are, how they got there, and what they've learned along the way. In this episode, I talk to Kristen Fout. Kristen lives in Ohio, where she works as a pharmacist, and where she also has a calling to a ministry of racial reconciliation. So here is my conversation with Kristen. Hey, welcome to This Calling. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? <laughs> uh, well, you know, we're a couple of days into this whole coronavirus thing and everything's just uh, like it's completely different every 24 hours. Um you know, and it's, uh, it's, it's just, it, it feels like I keep getting a handle on, on things and then something happens and we, we rewrite the rules all over again. Sounds about right. Yeah. What's your, what's your line of work? I am a pharmacist. Um, yeah. I actually work at a Walmart in a neighboring town. Um, I live in in Bexley, Ohio, um, which is an enclave suburb of Columbus. Um, And so I've been a pharmacist for almost 24 years. Um, And it's a, it's a, it's a funny road um, to here. And it'll be an interesting thing to see what God has ahead of me. Um, I, um, one of the reasons why I wanted to come on the podcast is that I believe that everyone is called by God to something Absolutely. and that you don't have to be a church worker to be called by God. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, as I was thinking about that, my um, that really comes from my, my family. Um, I grew up in the Lutheran church, Missouri synod. Um, and so therefore I was told that I could be anything that I wanted to be except a pastor. Except a pastor. (laughs) What was that Um, like to hear that growing up? Um, 
it made me want to be a pastor um, because I'm con- yeah. a contrary sort of person. Um, but I think the way that particularly my dad spins it was that that doesn't mean I wasn't called by God huh. to do to do God's work in the world. Um, the way that he put it sometimes was that, you know, the, the folks who pick up our, our trash are called by God to their job because we need people to pick up the trash and that any believer who um, does their work unto the Lord is, is called by God to do their work. And so on the one hand, it, it made me my contrary self want to become a pastor. On the other hand, it also made me see all work as God's work Mm -hmm. um, because it brings about any work that brings about, um, the flourishing of others and will show forth God's glory. So, um, so it, you know, it's just one of those, those funny things in life that something that kind of was prohibited also makes you think about, um, well, what it, what is it that you're called to, um, rather than, just kind of what am I, what am I not? Um, It's a, it's a kind of a a funny thing. Um, You know, I didn't, I wanted to be all sorts of things as I, as I grew up. Um, Like what sort of things? um, I went to Lutheran school for a little while and wanted to be a choir director. Um, I don't know why I just really did. I just really enjoyed choir. Um, I wanted to, I think I probably wanted to be a teacher like my dad um, for a while. Um, But um, it's a, it's a funny sort of thing. I, um, I, I, in a way I see, I have kind of two callings and one of them is, a work calling and the other is has sometimes been involved in my work, but not always. So um, on the one hand, I'm a pharmacist. On the other hand, I've felt called to racial reconciliation since I was about 10. What happened when I was 10 was that I was, I grew up in Chicago and um Harold Washington, an African-American man, was running for mayor of Chicago. And on um, election day, my mom was watching the news, and she called me into the living room to watch the news with her. And there were people from our church at a polling station holding signs that said, if you want to vote vote right, vote white. Um, And my mom said to me this is not this is not how christians are this is not who we are and that's something that kind of percolated in my in my heart um from that moment on that well if that's not how we're supposed to be as christians how are we supposed to be as christians when it comes to folks who are different than us, particularly as 
white folks in a diverse world. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that kind of started, it's about 10. Um, Fast forward a little bit. um, We moved and I was going to a public school and um, I was in eighth grade and I did what I, I thought was a really amazing science project about mold and how fast mold grows <laughs> under different circumstances. Um, and I got really, really excited about this. And I thought this, that was what I was going to do for the rest of my life was, was study mold and microbes and penicillin and stuff like that. So um, I just really became the science girl um, in seventh and eighth grade. And um, really, just really enjoyed um, looking at things under a microscope and stuff like that. And um, I was moving on and I was um, going to, as my dad said, going to go to the the best high school in Chicago, which is Whitney Young. Um, Big... um, Claim to fame, that's where Michelle Obama went to high school as well, Um, although she's older than me. Um, And um, that was the first time I was really around African-American folks, like on a regular basis Mm. um, in my life. I had always lived in white neighborhoods, not out of design, but just out of, you know, apartments that we lived in and whatnot. Um, But um, so I was face to face with the diversity that I had felt called to um, when I was younger. And um, through, through that and through friendships, with folks and asking all the dumb white person questions. Um, <laughs> I had some really, really awesome friends who let me ask those questions and um, try to get at the bottom of what um, what I was called to in that. Um, I'm still working on that. I will be forever. It is just a forever commitment um but kind of on the same on that same track um when i was a freshman during one of during the um career fair there was a representative from the university of illinois college of pharmacy who came and did a presentation in our math class about what it meant to be a pharmacist and all the light bulbs went on Boom, 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 boom. All the light bulbs went on. I could see it. I didn't know any pharmacists. <laughs> I didn't had never thought that um, thought about that before. But I could see. I could see it. It was just one of those things. One of those things that God does sometimes. Hmm. Um, and so, like an epiphany. Would you call it? Yeah, just kind of like I. This is this is. Um. So, like in in 
right one of liturgy. Uh-huh. It is meet and right so to do. Something that's meet. I think of the thing that just fits, the puzzle pieces that just fit together. Mm-hmm. Um, things that meet together and are, are the right thing um, just seem like, like God um, mm-hmm. working. I don't I like know if that, that makes any sense, but um, <laughs> so I deci- just decided to be a pharmacist um, and, you know, took all, you know, took, you know, every, you know, science class I could possibly take in high school. And at the same time, I, you know, I was cultivating friendships that helped me to see, um, see my whiteness, see what whiteness looked like to my friends, um, to hear their stories of, um, of their dealings with a white world. Um, and it broke my heart and also spoke to my heart. Um, and so both of those things were just, just became really important to me. Do you think that that pharmacist who came, that person who came from the university to talk to your math class, do you suppose they had any idea what impact their presentation had made? Did you talk to that person ever again? I, you know, I don't think I did. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know who it was. I don't know if they were still there when I ended up going to pharmacy school. I have no idea. Um, but I, I, I'm very thankful for them and that presentation. I mean, it wasn't even like super fancy. It was just kind of laying out what pharmacists did and how they impacted the community and things like that. Um, and I think the thing about being a pharmacist that seemed to be, that seemed to click was kind of the this is where the rubber hits the road science wise. This is a place mm-hmm. where science hits people's lives. Um, you know, it's, um, and that just is cool. You know, it's, um, it really um, is a place where people, you know, can really make a big impact on someone helping them negotiate their way around something um, foreign that they're putting in their bodies to help them make them well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of a little bit of that in the presentation, I think. So what, what, what were you learning about your whiteness? Um, what were you learning about yourself as a white person? Maybe that's a different way to put it. I think that I was learning that I had a lot to learn um, <laughs> is part of it. Um, that my... Um, 
that part of part of me was part of it represented the pro part of the problem mm -hmm. for folks. Um, I had a also had a decent handle on the idea of sin um, and how sin affects us as as people hmm. and i could see that the similarities with grappling with sin in general and grappling with um the sin of race racism specifically there were lots of parallels and one of them that i see that i still see is that um Sin is in, in the air. It's in our DNA. And so we go and we, we confess to God our sins. And then we walk in, out, back out into a world full of sin again. And, um, and so, and that's the same with, um, with privilege. You know, I can... I can go and I can confess um, that I have not, you know, used my my gifts to love my neighbor properly. Um, I can confess um, my privilege and my fragility. And then I go out and it just like it kind of engulfs me all over again. <laughs> I read a, a description once of of sin and confession and sin and confession as being like those really hot, humid summer days where you're just drenched in sweat and then you go in and take a shower and you come out, you towel off and immediately you're drenched in sweat again. So what's yeah. the point of taking a shower? But you still have to get clean once in a while. Yeah. Um, and then go find some air conditioning. So maybe that, maybe that's heaven. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that that is, um, that's a good way of thinking it. I I feel like I walk out into like, um, a swarm of insects or something, you know, just like wow. sometimes. Um, so you really do have a almost a tangible sense of how pervasive. Yes. Sin is in your life and in the lives of everyone. Mm -hmm. um, was there ever a moment, especially in high school, when when everyone I know, who's myself included, had to deal with um, bucket loads of of like shame and self doubt and all that? Was there ever a time that your kind of dawning racial awareness became kind of self recrimination? Did you have to sort through that? There, there was, and, and there is sometimes, but now, but to a lesser extent. Um, and I think that, that, um, that's, it's a, it's a tricky thing because I cannot, and I should not, um, change the color of my skin. I'm stuck with it. Um, and it feels like you um, 
sometimes it feels like an, a no-win situation just because it it ends up being frustrating on, on so many levels. It ends up being um, particularly f- like issues of fragility. So, yeah, so that, I mean, that's a... Um, that's hard and knowing what one's response to it is also difficult because the tendency is to want to go in to community and you know make everything right and it can't you know it's a long-term process. It can't be made right by me just zooming into a place and trying to fix everything. Um, so, yeah, so there, I mean, so there was some, some shame and some guilt um, in that. It's also... Um, there also have been moments of grace as well. Um, just realizing that um, the kingdom of God is a kingdom where where we are reconciled. Um, that Jesus is um, is reconciling the world to Himself and reconciling us to one another. That's His business. And so um, that's just can be very comforting at times and also frustrating because it's still in the not yet stage of things. Um, So it, um, I went to, um, the University of Illinois Chicago. I did my undergrad um, stuff, and um, on the main campus. What do you and, do? You do a, an like an undergraduate degree in pharmacy, um, or do you so do biology? I or have. Uh, I do have a doctor of pharmacy degree, but I do not have a bachelor's degree. You can either, depending on your school, you can go straight through. Or you can do a bachelor's degree ahead of time. And so my plan was to go straight through. Um, So I did like um, kind of two intensive years of undergrad and then applied to pharmacy school and got in um, and went straight to the doctor of pharmacy from there. there are some pharmacy schools that require you to get a bachelor's degree ahead of time, uh, a, you know, full, full graduate with a full bachelor's degree before. Um, the pharmacy school I went to did not. Um, you could get it, but it wasn't required. Hmm. Um, so I was... Um, in kind of the the undergrad portion of my um, college life, um, I became involved with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Um, 
I met my husband Jason there. Um and in that group. Um and I also was exposed to some really, really awesome people who gave some language to what I had been experiencing in high school and grappling with in high school. Um, especially um, Brenda Salter McNeil, who is um, now a um, on staff at Quest Church in Seattle and also teaches, and I can't remember what you, where she teaches, um, but she is an amazing um, teacher, preacher. She gave names to the things that I was experiencing in high school around race. I had not, I did not the phrase racial reconciliation wasn't in my vocabulary in high school, even though that's what I was looking at. Um, and so I became kind of her groupie, um, trying to bum a ride anytime she was speaking um, <laughs> at someone's chapter around, around um, Chicago. Um, just amazing um, lady. Um, through InterVarsity, I also did the Spring Break Chicago Urban Project, um, which has a, um, an eye towards um, racial reconciliation and serving the poor. Um, and it, um, it really was an amazing time. And as I was then in in pharmacy proper pharmacy school um i got hooked up with Lawndale christian health center on the west side of chicago um through various just kind of um things meeting up the way they needed to meet up mm -hmm. and um a physician from there basically point blank one time when I was volunteering there said, so are you going to be our first pharmacist? Cool. And I said, I don't know. I mean, it Maybe does I feel am. like, like uh, two paths and converging. <laughs> yes. Two paths converging for sure. Um, and so um, through just a variety of different things that um different meetings and whatnot i was caught up in the whirlwind of becoming um Lawndale's first pharmacist um and it it was hard because they didn't actually have a pharmacy <laughs> um <laughs> and um so kind of negotiating the law and um their their administration people getting grants and um in my last year of pharmacy school when i was doing my clinical rotations i did a pharmacy administration rotation where i looked at what were the steps to bringing a pharmacy to to london christian health center um and then i did it which is really weird um, in retrospect, um, because 
I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) And I think that if I knew what I was doing, I would not have done it. Um, And I think that um, that's, I often say that God thinks he's funny and he's right. He is funny. Um, But, you know, if I, if I'd known the things that, I would have needed to know to do it better. I probably wouldn't have done it. Interesting. Isn't it, so, isn't it good to be protected from the future sometimes? Or from yes, it is. Of the future? Yes, it is. And it was really, it was really hard. Um, Jason and I had gotten married the Christmas break before I graduated. I was, you know, studying for my boards. I was trying to set up this pharmacy. <laughs> it was nuts. It was absolutely, it was crazy. Um, so, but it did happen. And we came, we, we had a pharmacy at Lawndale. And um, I was there for, I think, about five years. Um, my husband, Jason, um, was, um, kind of, um, during that five years, he was exploring his own call to, um, ordained ministry in the Episcopal church and doing, um, doing seminary and whatnot. And, um, when he, um, was ordained, we, um, moved to Western Michigan um, and so that was when my time at, at Lawndale came to a close in the, and I left it in much more capable, capable hands than I had happily. Um, and Lawndale is a huge ministry on the West side of Chicago that keeps growing and growing partly because the need is so big for quality health care. Um, there. So now they have several sites. Um, and um, the last time I, I looked on their website to check it out, they had seven pharmacists. So um, it just seems like God started something with me um, that was part of the growth of that ministry. Hmm. So that's pretty awesome. Um, (laughs) But then, you know, it's uh, since then, I have mostly um, been a big cheerleader, supporter, and whatnot of my husband's ministry, which is not insignificant. Um, And that include us um, living in Western Michigan, us moving to England for four years while he did his PhD. Um, And now it includes, um, well, not right now because of the virus, but um, he travels a lot. And so 
a big part of my ministry to the Episcopal Church is to keep my family sane while he's away. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But our oldest child is graduating from high school, God willing, if anyone ever goes back to school. Um, And um, I'm at... A week after she's supposed to graduate, I'm I'm supposed to go to the Holy Land um, with Brenda Salter McNeil, who I mentioned before as a, you know my um, person I admired very much when I was um, in college. And the the pilgrimage is a racial reconciliation pilgrimage, and so it's to look at. Um, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and um, gain insight for our situation in the United States from that. Hmm. Um, and I don't know if that's going to happen or not at this yeah. point. There's a lot um, up in the air. Yes, everything in life is up in the air right now. But... Um, I feel like at this point in my life, um, I want to I want to re-explore that part of my call. Um, I mean, it, it comes up in it, its own way um, in my life as a pharmacist at Walmart because every kind of person that God ever made comes into a Walmart. <laughs> every kind of person, and. Um, and God's made a lot of really interesting people. Um, and some are easier to deal with than others. <laughs> um, but I just, I think, especially recently, um, that, um, that love, um, that longing for reconciliation has been, has kind of had a rekindling in my heart. Hmm. Um, I wonder what that's about. Yeah, I do too. Let's see. Yeah. Is it (laughs) just time for it to Um, rise to the top again or? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't even know at this point what God's going to do with that. I think that, um, Something that struck me recently um, is that it is really hard for white folks and people of color to talk about race with one another. It's really hard for a lot of different reasons. And It's, and I see, um, I see the, the struggle kind of from, from both angles and just like with other aspects of our, of our sinful nature, um, it's a process. We, for us, um, folks who are, who are white, it's, 
it's such a, it's a long process. I mean, I've been thinking about this since I was 10. And I still don't have it right. <laughs> and so I can't imagine how how hard it is for the people who haven't been caring about it since they were 10 um, to wrap their mind around um, the issues. Um, and so I wonder if that's kind of a part of it. Um, and I think that there's also a part of it that I think has to do with storytelling. Um, there's a lot of things, it seems, in the Episcopal Church right now around being able to tell our story. Um, and I think that's a very good thing. Um, but I wonder um, whether the time is, is ripe for people both people of color and people who are white to tell their story of interactions with race. Um, and I think that's in some ways um, talking about your story and your experience might make some of the conversations less heated. Um, and more relational hmm. um, instead of being about issues, being more about relationship. I don't know. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of the direction my mind is going in. I have no idea how that works out in real life as a, as a ministry of reconciliation. Um, but I, it doesn't, it, God never leaves us alone, so well, I guess it will be clear at some point what that looks like. So as a lay person in the Episcopal Church, do you, do you, uh, are, are we doing a good enough job at making room for lay leadership? Um... The answer, I think, is it, it depends. It's situational on a certain level. I think that um, there, I think the laity need to recapture their commitment to the baptismal covenant and really living that out, not just in volunteering at church, so to speak, but in their their real everyday lives. I think that to be able to articulate that and to tell that story um, is vitally important. Um, and I think that that's really a, a step in the right direction because I think from that folks become empowered to do what God has called them to do in the church. Hmm. Um, 
But if someone doesn't know how to articulate what their gifts are or what their relationship with Jesus is, you know, they, they end up just being a volunteer for Sunday school or being, a, you know, instead of like living into a call by God because they're called garbage man is called. Um, and I just don't know that the laity think of it in that way. Hmm. And I don't know that that's, um, I think that's a cultural thing in the Episcopal church. You know, father knows best, except when you disagree with father and then you're taking on the mantle of your baptismal covenant, (laughs) (laughs) so to speak. Yeah. Um, And so I don't know what the the answer to that is. Um, I mean, I think that that is a place that is really important to me. Um, I am on... Um, the formation committee in our parish and um, it's there over the years, it's been a little bit frustrating um, because people, it seemed wanted to only come to things where they were being talked at instead of actually engaging with one another in kind of an intimate sort of way. And that's become better, I think. Um, But I don't, I don't lay it at the feet of the clergy. It's not just the clergy's responsibility to, um, if we're resistant to actually living into our baptismal covenant, Um, But the clergy can help and take a lead. Um, But I don't know. I think we could do better, but um, I'm not sure what the answer to that is, how we do it better. Um, So here's... (laughs) Here's just a a question that I would just love to hear your answer to, although the answer is hopefully um, obvious, but could always do with with having good words wrapped around it. So take a stab at at this. Why does Jesus, why, why would a Christian care about racial reconciliation? I mean, it's an obvious question, right? But the right. more good words we can put around around it, the, the more we can kind of hopefully move it into uh, into the spotlight a bit more. Um, there's um. Oh, I wish I had it at my fingertips. There's a prayer that's a part of the morning prayer service that talks about um, the kingdom of God being um, of every nation and of every people. Hmm. Um, I'll definitely look it up and put it in the show notes. 
<laughs> yeah, I didn't, and I can't, and I don't, I don't remember, I don't, I don't have it in front of me. Um, so, Jesus is all about reconciliation all over the place, reconciling us to one another, reconciling us to him. It's there in, it's, it's all over the Bible. It's all over the prayer book. Um, and reconciliation assumes that the, uh, assumes sin, assumes a tearing apart of a relationship whether it's between us and God, us and our neighbor. And Jesus is all about restoring relationships. Um, I think there is a, um, there is also a sense of God doesn't just want us to be reconciled. He wants our flourishing. He wants our, us to um, grow um, into the, the very people we were meant to be. And I don't think that we can do that if we have this big... Um, glaring sin pervasive sin that when you walk out the door it's all around you like it's heavy in the air i don't think that that promotes our flourishing as people as the people of god i like that so what's your favorite part of being a pharmacist (laughs) (laughs) um Favorite part of being a pharmacist? Um, I like I like talking to people. Uh, I, I like problem solving. Um, so um, it's it's kind of the You know, whenever I can um, get someone what they need or help someone, like, you know, rejigger their medicine schedule so that it's easier for them to take their medicine, um, anytime I just, um, I can solve a problem for someone. A lot of times in our American system or lack thereof. Um, it involves getting involved with their healthcare provider, other healthcare providers, as well as their insurance company, and getting everybody to like talk together and work together to solve that particular patient's problem. Um, Another thing I like about being a pharmacist, and this might seem a little bit, I don't know. There are a lot of people who are really unhappy in the world. And I meet a lot of them. 
And so if I have a regular who is expresses being un- being unhappy generally is generally grumpy and then at some point i am able to help that person with their with their medicine solve a problem for them and then they're not as grumpy <laughs> to myself and the rest of the staff, I feel like that's a really big win. You know, it's, um, Oh, you bring a little joy into someone's life. Bring a little joy into somebody's life, make their medicine easier for them to manage, um, help them, you know, when their insurance company is being absolutely ridiculous. (laughs) Um, and, you know, helping them navigate, you know, this very complex system that we have here in the United States. Um, helping them to feel heard by the various players, um, including myself. And so it's, it's very relational. Um, and it's solving problems so that this this medicine fits into this person's life hmm. um, is my that's what I like to do. I like to help solve solve folks' problems when I can hmm. and sympathize when I can't. You know, I can't solve everything. Yeah. Um. But those are the people are. You know, it's like the the best and worst of everything is people, (laughs) you know, it's, um, everybody is made in in the image of God. And they're also, also everybody is, is marred by sin. Yeah. So including yours truly. So it's, and we're, we're stuck in a world together. Although not together very much lately. Um, (laughs) um, Yeah, it was, um, I've had a few days off in the last day I was at work. Our, um, our cold and flu and our pain relief was just gutted. There were like two bottles of stuff Mm. on the shelf. It was surreal. It was really strange. Um, but I am praying for a um, a good outcome for this, and I'm hoping that we also learn to care for each other better. Yeah. So we're recording this on March 16th. This is probably going to come out 10 days from now, or a week from Wednesday, nine days from now. Who knows what things are going <laughs> to look like? In nine days, and someone is going to listen to this episode uh, years from now <laughs> and wonder what yeah. we were talking about. Uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a very yeah. rapidly changing time. It's very exciting in a way. Um, yeah. In that same sense of excitement that uh, that I feel when I'm going up the the incline at the beginning of a roller coaster, and I hate roller coasters, mm-hmm. so. Um, so, okay, recommend something for us while we're all quarantined. Uh, 
binge watching whatever we're watching recommend a show or a movie or a book or a, a game um, this is gonna food. sound really predictable <laughs> but i really really love the netflix documentary the pharmacist um, i did not know there was a netflix documentary called the pharmacist it is awesome. So it's and it's about um, the opioid crisis. It is about a pharmacist whose son he's in he's in, just outside of New Orleans, Louisiana. His son um, got killed in an African American neighborhood while trying to buy drugs, and then he goes on this whole obsessive compulsive you'll realize that all pharmacists are obsessive compulsive um <laughs> you know looking for his um his son's killer um and then he gets kind of embroiled in the whole opioid crisis hmm. and um you know trying to shut a pill mill doctor down and um it's really interesting and it's um it's it's a good it's a good binge watch and he's just he he's a character as well you know just recording every conversation he's ever had with anybody it's kind of weird but um but it's a it's a good um it's a good documentary. I liked it a lot. All pharmacists are a little obsessive compulsive, did you say? Oh, absolutely. Is that because there's so much precision required and if you if you mess up, put a decimal point in the wrong place, yes. someone's going to get harmed? Oh. Yes. Well, and it's just, it's just kind of... Uh, um, and not all pharmacists are kind of obsessive about the same things either yeah. always, but, um, but it's kind of, um, it has to do with being able to control the, um, the distractions and the variables that, um, would cause an error. Um, and so, you you do that whatever way that you can and so it's 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 also it's kind of a chicken and egg thing where it was the person kind of obsessive <laughs> um before they became pharmacist or did the job make them that way <laughs> it can be a little bit of both i think um so but um but yeah um that's my recommendation okay the pharmacist, the pharmacist documentary on netflix, on netflix. Right, i'll check it out Kristen, thanks for thanks for talking to me. We're we're right at an hour, and I no problem. And thanks for being interested in um, a lay vocation that has you know that for someone who's not a church worker. <laughs> yeah, I think it's very important. You know, I think um, the world would be a very poor place if God called everybody to be priests, because then nothing useful at all would ever get done. <laughs> Um, and I think, you know, we have uh, our, our focus is too narrow too often in the Episcopal Church. But we think of discernment and vocation only in terms of ordained vocation. And it's not, it's not true. It, I absolutely agree. It shouldn't be true for the vast majority of us. Absolutely. So thank you for doing the work you do on both fronts. 
Thanks. <laughs>